And this afternoon we will look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 15, which is our text. However, I will read Exodus 20 and verses 1 through 15. So let's give our attention now to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to our hearts this afternoon. And I invite you to uh, turn with me in the Forms and Prayers book uh, to, or in the Trinity Psalter hymnal, uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism, basically, uh, to Lord's Day 42. Lord's Day 42, which if you have a Forms and Prayers book, is page 249, um, or you can find that in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal, uh, or on uh, formsandprayers.com. But let's, uh, I'll read now Lord's Day 42, what we as a church believe and confess based on God's word about the Eighth Commandment. What does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? He forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate, such as inaccurate measures of weight, size, or volume, fraudulent merchandising, counterfeit money, excessive interests, or any other means forbidden by God. In addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. What does God require of you in this commandment? That I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, we all know that stealing is wrong. Even thieves know this and get upset when somebody steals from them. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once quipped uh, 
that thieves respect personal property, they simply wish it to be their personal property that they might respect it more. And we know that stealing is wrong. Uh, In the Eighth Commandment, God forbids stealing. That much is obvious. In other words, taking something that does not belong to you. But this commandment is about so much more than simply not stealing. As we'll see, it's ultimately about trusting God's provision and supremely treasuring Christ. Trusting God's provision and supremely treasuring Christ. So how do we, though, trust God's provision? Well, first we'll see that we trust God's provision by avoiding stealing. And then secondly, by addressing the heart of stealing. And then third, by abounding in generosity. And then fourth, by above all, treasuring Christ. So first, trust God's provision by avoiding stealing. Before we delve into more specifics, uh, take a moment just to realize that the Eighth Commandment establishes private property. If there were none such thing as private property, then this commandment would make no sense. But this commandment assumes that God allows us to have certain things that we can legitimately call our own. So that if someone takes those things from us, it's called stealing. But the Eighth Commandment goes far beyond just the physical act of stealing. As our catechism puts it, God forbids not only outright theft and robbery, which governing authorities punish, but in God's sight, theft also includes all evil tricks and schemes designed to get our neighbor's goods for ourselves, whether by force or means that appear legitimate. In other words, by deceit. And so let's just for a moment think about different forms of stealing. One way we steal is by taking our neighbor's goods by force. Uh, This, of course, is obvious to us. Uh, To take something that belongs to someone else by force, or when that person isn't looking, is stealing. I remember when I was a boy uh, in junior high, and I was riding my bike, and I had a brand new ball cap that I was so excited about. And it might have been the first day I wore it. And I'm riding my bike, and a couple of uh, older uh, guys are approaching me on their bikes and they ask one asks me what's the time and I look down for a second and he rips my hat off me and then they go riding off and I was so upset and we all know that feeling of somebody just taking something that's ours stealing it from us that that's wrong and that that was ours and they have sinned against us and and sinned ultimately against God but stealing by by force is, of course, stealing. Um, But also, uh, when we steal something when somebody's not looking, that's wrong. When we take something that's not ours, when that person's not looking. Children, remember that God sees all. He knows all and sees all. He's always looking. So even if your children see something that you want that's not yours and you're tempted to, to steal it and nobody's looking, Remember, God always sees. Turn from that evil decision to take what's not yours. Turn away from it. But 
stealing by deceit is no better. Children, it's wrong also to steal by tricking other people. And our catechism summarizes from God's word a few ways in which this happens. Uh, It mentions inaccurate measurements of weight, size, or volume. The idea here is that you misrepresent the weight, length, or measure of something so that you can deceitfully make more money from this person. God addressed it in this in Deuteronomy 25, verse 13, when he says, You shall not have in your bag two kinds of weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and fair weight you shall have. A full and fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Right? The idea here is that a person would be tempted to keep different kinds of weights and measures so that when somebody's coming to buy a product from them, perhaps some meat in the marketplace, and this person wants to buy uh, two pounds of meat and is expecting to get charged for only two pounds of meat, but the person who's selling it might deceive them uh, by putting an extra pound or two uh, in the scale to sort of charge that person more than they are getting. And that's a form of stealing. Another way to steal that our catechism mentions is fraudulent merchandising. This is where you misrepresent the actual value of a good that you are selling. In other words, we need to be honest when we put our items up for sale on Virage Sale and Kijiji, Used Regina, when we have a garage sale, an actual garage sale. Do people still do that these days? Yeah, an actual garage sale or uh, eBay, whatever it may be. When you're trying to sell somebody, you should be honest about what you're selling them. You know, Don't tell them this car is in perfect condition when it's broken down on you constantly. Um, be honest about what you're selling. Uh, stealing in this way can also happen through exorbitant claims. Uh, perhaps no one does this better than infomercials, the good old infomercials that we've seen on TV uh, at times. According to an article that appeared in the New York Times back in 2010, it turns out that the Snuggie may not be the perfect blanket after all. Consumer reports, tests in recent years of 15 products sold through infomercials found that many of the products, including the Snuggie, are not worth buying. According to the test results, other products on the not worth it list include the Slap Chop Dicer, the Sham Wow, the Ab Circle Pro, Debbie Meyer Green Bags, the iRobot Luge, Gutter Cleaner, and Mighty Putty. Among the problems with the products, Consumer Reports found that the Slap Chop, which claims to chop food in seconds, chopped unevenly and harder foods got trapped in the blades. Researchers, meanwhile, found that the Snuggie blanket was so far from snug that several staffers had trouble walking and it shredded after 10 wash and dry cycles. So, buyer beware of infomercials. That's not to say that everything on an infomercial is bad and uh, being misrepresented, but be careful. Uh, It's one thing to be confident in your product that you're selling. It's another to make extravagant claims to take advantage of others. Uh, Our catechism also next mentions counterfeit money. That should be obvious, right? That that's a form of stealing. Uh, It also mentions excessive interest, also known as usury. 
which is the lending of money at unreasonably high rates of interest. Um, but this, I think, especially has in mind uh, taking advantage of the poor when they are in distress and helpless. The Bible teaches that we should care for those who are truly poor and needy and not take advantage of their situation with excessive interest, especially if they are our own family or a part of our church family. Leviticus 25 verse 35 says, If your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Take no interest from him or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. You shall not lend him your money at interest, nor give him your food for profit. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. The motivation that the Lord gives his people here is, look, I was generous towards you when I delivered you when you were poor and needy. I rescued you out of slavery in Egypt. Therefore, don't be, don't, don't. Be ungrateful for that. Show your gratitude by being generous to those who are truly poor and needy. Don't take advantage of them. But on the other hand, if if someone is poor because they are lazy and don't want to work, even when they have the ability and opportunity, this too is a form of stealing according to God's word. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10 says, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. You see, to be idle and just consume from others when you can work is a form of stealing. But what then are some other ways that stealing takes place today? Well, one way that that happens today is by hidden charges, right? Nothing's more frustrating than when you are trying to subscribe to some kind of service and in big print and, and, and lettering, they've got all the the, the, this little charge, this, this, this basic charge, but then there's all this fine print with all these extra hidden charges that if you're not careful, um, then it can be a form of stealing. You, you, of course, should read those the fine print, as they say, um, but, you know, people should be honest and upfront with you about all the charges, and we appreciate that, right? We should love others as we would ex- want them to love us. Uh, laziness at work is a form of stealing. This is probably especially a temptation as many of us are working from home now. Uh, We might be tempted to goof off and not get our work done. Now I understand that we're all trying to figure out how to work at home now and there's a struggle there with learning a new routine and discipline, but let's guard our hearts uh, from stealing from our employer by goofing off when we should be working. Let's get our work done. Uh, Cheating on your taxes is another form of stealing. Jesus said in Matthew 22, verse 21, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. It's a form of stealing to not pay your taxes or to make false claims. Uh, 
for a disability check. But on the flip side, governments can also steal from their citizens by wasting public money. So it goes both ways. Then there's insurance fraud today, where you file a false claim. Plagiarism and cheating are forms of stealing uh, that students struggle with today. Identity theft is common today as well. I mean, how often do we see somebody on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or whatever say, Hey, everybody, just a public service announcement. If you, get a, if you get a message from me asking you to be my friend and look at this video, don't open it. It's not from me. And it's frustrating, right? People steal our identities now on social media and spam our friends and, and do all sorts of frustrating things. This is a, another form of stealing, identity theft. Stealing music, movies, television, Internet through tech-savvy ways is another form of stealing today. Some people are really tech-savvy, and they find out ways to, to steal services. Movies, television, Internet, music. Uh, or giving hookups at work. Right, People who are in the hospitality industry, work in restaurants. Uh, this can be a temptation. I know I used to work in a restaurant, and there's a temptation there for restaurant waiters to uh, servers to give hookups to their friends when they come in or to their customers in order to try to get a better tip for yourself. But this is a form of stealing that we must turn away from and repent from as well. We honestly could go on and on about all the forms of stealing today. And even if we keep the law externally, we violate this commandment in our heart. And so our catechism gets to the heart of the matter when it says, in addition, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. And so we are to trust God's provision. How? First, by avoiding stealing. And secondly, by addressing the heart of stealing. Why would greed and covetousness be mentioned here as a form of stealing? Well, it's because the commandments don't just apply to external actions. They extend also to the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And is not greed and covetousness stealing in your heart? When you are greedy for things and coveting your neighbor's possessions, this is where stealing begins. It begins in the heart. And it arises out of a spirit of discontentment and a lack of trust in God's provision for our lives. You see, stealing isn't just a sin against our neighbor. It's a sin against God himself. We must remember that God is sovereign over all things and that he owns all things. As Psalm 24 puts it, the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. God is the sovereign owner of all things. Who provides to whom he will in his timing. And so to steal is to assault God's providence towards you. And his providence towards your neighbor. We need to trust God's provision for our lives. And not be anxious. But to be content with what he's given us. Matthew 6, our Lord 
exhorts us with these words and encourages us as well. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Therefore, do not be anxious. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You see, stealing arises out of a heart that is struggling to trust that God is willing and able to provide for us all that we need. It's a failure to trust that He is sovereign and good. And it's a failure to trust His infinitely wise timing in bestowing His gifts. Stealing begins in the heart with greed and covetousness. And God's Word warns us about these things and warns us about the love of money. Jesus also said in Matthew 6, verse 24, just before this, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Paul, the Apostle Paul, also warned us about the love of money. He says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, he says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And so, you see, we need to guard our hearts against the love of money and put to death all greed and covetousness. God sovereignly owns all things and is a good heavenly Father who will provide for all of our needs. We need to trust that. We need to trust God's provision for our lives. And because God owns all things, this also means that everything that we own is ultimately a gift from Him And we are but stewards of his good gifts. This is why our catechism mentions that pointless squandering of his gifts is also a form of stealing. James 1 says in verse 17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And so this means that our homes, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, The car we drive, the money that we have, the time that we have been given, the very breath that we breathe is all a gift from God. And we are called to be good stewards of His gifts and not waste His good gifts, which is a form of stealing. If we don't realize this about everything that belongs to us, then we have turned God's good gift into an idol and are worshiping the gift rather than the giver. And so, beloved, don't waste the gifts that have been given to you. Be thankful for them, and be good stewards of them for the glory of God. So these are the things that the Eighth Commandment forbids, but with all the commandments, as we've been seeing, we are not only forbidden 
from harming our neighbor, we are positively commanded to love our neighbor. And so, what is the positive side of the Eighth Commandment? The negative side is avoid stealing. And the positive side is our third point here. Trust God's provision. How? By abounding in generosity. That's the positive side of this commandment. And so our catechism asks, what does God require of you in this commandment? And we confess, based on God's word, that I do whatever I can and may for my neighbor's good, that I treat others as I would like them to treat me, and that I work faithfully so that I may help the needy in their hardship. Paul says in Ephesians 4, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal. That's the negative side, the, what God forbids in the Eighth Commandment. But then he adds the positive requirement. He not only says, let the thief no longer steal, but he adds, but rather, let him labor. Let him work. Let him labor. Doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You see, labor is a legitimate form of acquiring wealth and possessions. And as God's people, we are called not only to work for ourselves, but also to work in order to further our neighbor's good where we can and may. You know, there's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. No doubt we must heed the Bible's warnings about the love of money But we should not conclude that making a lot of money is inherently sinful. There are plenty of examples of wealthy saints in the Bible, like Job or Abraham or well-to-do women who followed Jesus in the Gospels or who hosted church services in their home in the book of Acts. And so if we are able to make a lot of wealth, there is nothing inherently sinful about that. Rather, what is sinful is being greedy and covetous and stingy and putting all your hope and happiness in possessions and in money. The Eighth Commandment forbids stealing and requires us to work hard and live a life of generosity. John Calvin once said, Become as rich as you possibly can so that you can be as generous as you possibly can. That ought to be our our attitude as Christians. And the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. In addition, he adds, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Notice he doesn't say, as for the rich, shame on you for all the money you've made. No. He calls them to live as Christians who are rich. And that means that they are generous towards others in need. Even as Christ generously 
gave himself for us to bring us etern- to, to eternal life. This is how the rich are to live in this present age, to be rich in good works. And really, all of us should live that way, whether rich or poor or middle class or wherever we find ourselves on that spectrum. We're all called to a life of generosity. I love the words of Jerry Bridges here. And I, I quoted this before when I preached on this commandment. I always quote this because it's so good. And my children really laid hold of this uh, quote and it was really helpful in the home. But Jerry Bridges says this, There are three basic attitudes we can take toward possessions. First, there's the attitude of the thief. What's yours is mine. I'll take it. Second, there's the attitude of most people most of the time. What's mine is mine. I'll keep it. Third, there's the godly attitude. What's mine is God's. I'll share it. What a beautiful Christ-like attitude to have. What's mine is God's. I'll share it. What a beautiful summary of the Eighth Commandment and what God requires of us. Children, did you hear that? What's mine is God's, and I'll share it. Adults, did you hear that? What's mine is God's, and I'll share it. How is God calling you to be generous in your life? With the global economy being greatly impacted by the COVID-19 virus and many losing their jobs and other sources of income, perhaps your income is more stable. And perhaps God is calling you to be ready and willing to help others in need during this time, especially those of the household of faith. The temptation during a crisis like COVID-19 is to put your trust in money and to hoard what you have while others are suffering. Let that not be true of us, brothers and sisters. May we be a generous people. May we be a generous people during this crisis and not hoard our money and possessions. Are you ready and eager also to give generously to the offerings of the church again soon? Uh, We hope to have electronic methods of giving set up soon. We're getting closer and closer to that. Are you eager to give once again as an act of worship. As one pastor put it, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. It's an act of worship to give of our offerings to the church for the continuation of the gospel ministry and for the care of the poor and needy. And so let me exhort you, members of Redeemer Reformation Church, to continue to give generously to the work of the church once we set up giving again. Don't spend your offerings now. There might be a temptation. Well, i got extra money here to to spend on some uh, new toys and to spend on my own pleasure. Don't spend your offerings now. Set them aside for when we have those electronic methods of giving in place or mail your checks in to the deacons. I'm sure it's tempting to think that we are on some sort of vacation from giving to the church, but God's word still calls us to give of the first fruits of our finances. 
So set your offering aside and be prepared to give cheerfully and generously again soon. Because 2 Corinthians 9.7 tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. And why should we give cheerfully? Because of what God has done for us in Christ. If Christ is truly your treasure, you see, it frees you up to trust God and give generously and cheerfully in gratitude. And so we need to trust God's provision. How? By avoiding stealing, by addressing the heart of stealing, by abounding in generosity, and fourth, by treasuring Christ above all. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have coveted what's not ours, and we steal from others, whether it's by force or deception. We've all violated this commandment in one way or another. We've, we've been lazy or poor stewards of God's good gifts. We've clung to our possessions and failed to be generous towards others. But thanks be to God for Christ, God's immeasurable gift to us. And think about how Christ specifically fulfilled the eighth commandment to redeem us from our sins and misery. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 6, Though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, He wasn't like the first Adam who grasped at equality with God and tried to steal something that wasn't His. As our second Adam, Christ humbled Himself even though He was God. But He didn't grasp at it like the first Adam. He rather, verse 7 in Philippians 2, made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was the only perfectly obedient one who, ever, who never violated the Eighth Commandment. Jesus never took what belonged to someone else by force or deceit, nor did He covet His neighbor's goods. He never distrusted His Father's providence, even when life was difficult. The Bible says the Son of Man had no place to lay His head. He wasn't a homeowner. He had no place to lay His head. Times were difficult for Jesus throughout His life. And even when the devil came to Him and tempted Him with the kingdoms and wealth of the world, He refused to take a shortcut to glory and bypass the cross. But even more, than that, he fulfilled all that was positively required in the eighth commandment. He was the best steward of the time and gifts that he had been given. And he didn't hoard them, but self sacrificially used them at all times to glorify God the Father and to love his neighbor. And he loved us to the point of death, even death on a cross, where he was numbered among the transgressors. As a criminal. And what transgressors were beside him as he hung on that cross. Think about it. What kind of transgressors? What kind of criminals? Well, he hung between two thieves. Robbers. And one of them even mocked him saying, 
Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. You see, even on the cross, this thief was only thinking about himself. But then we go on to read the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. You see, that thief got it. He understood that not only was he justly receiving what he deserved for his crimes in society, but that there was a far greater condemnation to be feared. The just and eternal condemnation of God. And that's the condemnation that we all deserve for our sins of stealing and failure to be generous with what we have. All of our sins of commission and omission. But what happens next is remarkable and gives us great hope. The thief on the cross goes on to say, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's the good news for us sinners. That's hope for us thieves who confess our sins and trust in Christ. We can be forgiven because in the eyes of God's justice, there were really three thieves on the cross that day. Our sins were credited to Christ's account. And He suffered the condemnation that we deserve so that we who repent and trust in Him alone might receive His righteousness and all the riches that He deserved. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That's the good news. Beloved, rest in that good news and be assured that all your sins are forgiven in Christ if you repent of your sins and trust in his perfect life and death in your place and his resurrection from the dead. It's all a gift of free grace. Receive it by faith alone. And if you do, you're forgiven in Christ of all your sins and you are accepted by God and have the hope of eternal life. And it's all a gift of free grace, as I said, because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now you see, you are freed up to live a life of generosity towards others and to not put your hope in earthly wealth. As 1 Peter 1 says, we have the hope of an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, no matter what happens to the economy during this present crisis, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for us, and we will see it and enter into it when Christ returns. And so how, can we put to, and so how can we put to death our greed and grow in generosity in this present evil age? It's a fruit of the Spirit that grows as we remember the generosity of God in Christ towards us. And it grows as we look forward to the hope 
of our eternal inheritance that awaits us when Christ returns. And so remember God's generosity in Christ towards you. And by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, put to death your greed and love others with a generous heart. Beloved, your treasure is in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy nor thieves break in and steal. Trust God's provision for you in Christ. In the words of Hebrews 13, verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen.